As I said earlier, we're going to start a series this morning through the book of 1 John. And so if you want to be turning there in 1 John in your Bibles, we're talking this morning about life and light. And before we get there, though, this morning, I don't know if any of you will remember this because a quick Google search I did the other day didn't yield any results and nobody in the first service seemed to remember what I was talking about. But I remember this commercial that was on TV a few years back, probably more like 10 or 15 years, where a delivery driver showed up at this family's front door and rang the doorbell or knocked and the door opened and the house was just completely dark inside. And the, during the course of the conversation, at some point, the dad says something to the effect of, okay, five minutes, at which point the light switched on. And the whole family erupted in cheers because they were able to have the light on for five minutes. And the dad just kind of looks at the naturally perplexed delivery driver and says, they love that light. And I think that commercial stuck with me for a couple of reasons. If it existed, maybe I just made it up, which is a weird thing to make up, I'll admit. So hopefully it exists. One is the unending and thankless work that dads do everywhere to turn off unnecessary lights that are left on in the house. I think that's universal, but I think it also portrays something we can all relate to, and that is those little conflicts like turning the lights off or adjusting the thermostat or whatever the case may be. But I think the other reason it stuck with me is that last sentence, and that is they love that light. We need light. We were created for light. Even our physical health, light is important, we know. Natural light boosts vitamin D and improves our sleep. We could go on and on there, but light and life are connected, both in our passage for this morning and in the world about which 1 John is written. Science, we could spend a lot of time there, has a lot to say about light. So does literature, but this morning we're looking at the Bible. And as I had you turn to 1 John, you can stay there, but we're going to look at a few other passages as we get there, starting this morning in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 3. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. The story of God in the Scriptures begins with God's observation that the light was good. And that theme isn't lost as we continue to turn through the pages of Scripture. Isaiah 9-2 prophesies the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Savior. And it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them is light shone. Psalm 119-105 describes God's word as a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 18 teaches us that the Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. And then the prologue of John's gospel uses language that's very similar to what we're going to find here in 1 John, which is where we're headed this morning. But John chapter 1, the gospel, that chapter 1 verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then continues in verse 9 saying, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. In John 8, 12, Jesus himself would say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But the Pharisees didn't believe him. Right? In fact, they argued with him. With a vested interest in maintaining the status quo, the Pharisees had no interest in seeing the light or walking in the light of life that Jesus described and invited them into. They were determined to stay in the dark. And if 
we've gotten up and walked, tried to walk around the house at night without turning on the lights, we know it's difficult and dangerous to walk around in the dark. And certainly more that we could say this morning in regards to the background of the book of 1 John, but at some point we just need to jump into it, and so let's do that. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 says this, "'That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We have two points this morning. First one is Jesus shows us what true life is like. The second is walking in light means telling the truth to others, to ourselves and about God. So first, Jesus shows us what true life is like. As 1 John begins, you can see what's important for us to have heard from the big background of Genesis 1 and John chapter 1, the unfolding story of the gospel is in many ways, it's like watching the sun rise in slow motion as we start in Genesis and read through what God is doing to shine his light and to shine the hope of salvation in the world. As I think about that, I was on vacation a few weeks back. We spent a couple days at the Grand Canyon. And because I know how to really relax and enjoy myself, one of those days I had my family up and out the door at 5 a.m. to go and watch the sunrise. It's really laid back, but we got there at 5.30, and we got that prime spot that I was determined we were going to get. There was no traffic at that time, I know, shocking. We were prepared, though, if there had been. Um, but when we got there at 5.30, you couldn't see the sun at all. But as the minutes passed, the eastern horizon began to brighten, and as it did, it revealed a bank of clouds there on that horizon, and it began to become cleared us that we weren't going to see the sunrise at exactly the moment that Google had said we would see the sunrise. We were going to be waiting there in the cold and in the dark for a little longer than we expected. But nevertheless, once the sun was up, the views were magnificent. And I tell you that story because it's a lot like what we find John describing here in the first four verses of 1 John, I think. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. The nature of the sun itself even the position of the sun did not change in that hour and a half that I had my family standing out there in the cold to watch the sunrise that morning. The canyon did not significantly change during that time either. What changed was our ability to see it. The canyon was there all along, even in the darkness of night. And that, John says, is how it is with the word of life, how it is with the eternal life. It always was. It didn't just start up one day in the first century. That's just when we got our best view of what the eternal life was like, even if it at times is still through 
the clouds or through the fog. John 2 is describing a firsthand eyewitness experience. It always was, but now we've heard it. We've seen it with our own eyes. And maybe this is why people think that, you know, when you're holding something in your hand and somebody says to you, hey, let me see that, and they try to take it from you, and we say, right, well, you look with your eyes, not with your hands. But here John, in this passage, says, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. He's talking about this all-encompassing experience that he had had with Jesus, with the word of life. We already read a little bit from the Gospel of John this morning, but we're going to have to go back there for a little bit more, and it's not even going to be the last time. And so you might want to keep one hand in First John, one here in the Gospel of John. But John 1.1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so here in 1 John, I believe John's doing two things for us as we read it. First, he's calling to to mind the words that he had already written back in his gospel as he wrote about the Word of life. It's clear here to us that he's writing about Jesus. But I think there's another thing happening here, that when John calls Jesus the Word, or the logos in Greek, he's also playing on the wider usage of that word in Greek language and philosophy. It was this organizing concept of philosophy or reason around which the whole universe was believed to be ordered. And so I think he's doing here what Paul would do in Athens in Acts 17, where where Paul says, I see this altar that you have to the unknown God. Let me tell you about that God John here saying, you're right that the whole world revolves around the word, around the logos. Let me tell you about him. And so in verse 2, we get this description of the dawning or revealing of the word of life. John says that the life was made manifest or revealed, and we've seen it, we testify to it, we proclaim it to you. This isn't hearsay, it isn't gossip that John is spreading. John saw it and is testifying to it, proclaiming to us the eternal life. And it's another important phrase for us in understanding 1 John, because when we hear eternal life, what do we usually think about? We think about heaven or hell. We think about what comes at the end of this life. But John's not talking here about a life that comes after this one. He's talking about a life that was before this one. We usually think of eternal life as a description of the quantity or the duration of the life to come. But for John's purpose here, the emphasis is on the quality of life, the nature of true life with God the Father. It's not something that started even when Jesus showed up in the manger. It's something that has always been something that was always there, but now it's been revealed to us. And so John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in the next verse, he says, if you had known me, you would have known the fa- my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Because to see Jesus is to see God the Father. And to see God is to see what true life is like. There in John 14, here in 1 John, the revealing of the eternal life by Jesus is about seeing into this divine fellowship between the Father and Son and Spirit and being invited in to that fellowship with them. That's the reason John is writing this. It's the reason we're reading it. He says it's so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This morning, this is not a transactional passage. 
that John's writing. It isn't this plus this equals eternal life. It's John saying, church, have you seen Jesus? Have you had an encounter with him? Because John would say, I have, and I'm telling you that what I've seen is something that you want. You're gonna want to join in this fellowship with us, not because I'm there, not because John is there, but because this is what life is all about. It's what it's always been about, fellowship with God, fellowship with the Father and his Son. The eternal life that we see here is incompatible with our ideas about individualism or a transactional approach to relationships. The eternal life, the divine life, it's always been about fellowship. The Father, Son, and Spirit, a fellowship where love is perfectly given and returned, where joy is full. It's how it always was, even before we could see it. But now in Jesus, John would tell us we can see it. We can see what love is, what it looks like. I'm not going to preach 1 John 3.16 today. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. But I'm going to tell you this morning that the life that Jesus lived, the life recorded in the Gospels, was lived so that we could see what it's like to live in fellowship with God. Perfect love and fullness of joy. As Jesus would say, and Paul would echo, John tells us here that he's writing these things to fill up our joy. He wants us to see what he has seen so that we can experience what he has experienced. I don't know this morning if you remember the hymn, The Love of God by Frederick Lehman. The third verse of that hymn says this, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies with parchment made where every stalk on earth a quill and every scribe, every one a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. Fellowship with God is the reason you were created, and it's the way to fullness of joy. In fact, you were, were your need for joy as vast as the Grand Canyon, filling up your joy would be no challenge for God. As Jesus spoke about what it means to abide in him in John 15, he would say in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus shows us what true life is like. And it isn't the achievement of goals or the accumulation of goods. It's fellowship with the Father and the Son that can make your joy full. It isn't personal power, but it's perfect love. That's what true life, the eternal life, is like. And Jesus shows us that. Second, he shows us that walking in light means telling the truth to others, to ourselves, and about God. And 1 John 1, 5, John says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John's already made his purpose clear that we would experience the fellowship that he has with God and that our joy would be complete. And so here he continues to paint a picture for us of what that would look like in our lives. He's gonna build it on this foundation, this truth about who God is, that God is light. So to be sure this reality fits, what we've already seen this morning, the psalmists, Isaiah, John and his gospel all confirm that God is light in a way that drives out the darkness that we experience in our lives and in this world. And so we would be right this morning to read this passage that says God is light and say, conclude from that and walk out of here to say, light is good, darkness is bad. So the advice for us is just be good. And we got that, except the problem is, 
Who decides then what is good and who decides what's bad in a given situation? It wouldn't take long for us this morning to find a point of disagreement among ourselves on what's good and what's bad in a given situation. And so this morning, the question is, what's the standard? What we see here is it's God, that he is the standard, the eternal life, perfect fellowship and fullness of joy. He is the light. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so to say that God is light with no darkness at all is to say much the same thing. It's a claim on truth. And it's a call for us to walk in the truth. Danny Aiken, in his commentary on this passage, points out the pattern that John employs in verses 6 through 10, which explain and apply this reality that God is light. And he points out there's this threefold repetition as we look at verses 6 through 10. Three times we see the phrase, if we say. If we say. And so we see first that walking in light means telling the truth to others, because verses six through seven read, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Here's how Eugene Peterson words these verses in the message translation. He says, if we claim that we experience a shared life with him and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim, but if we walk in the light, God himself being the light, we also experience a shared life with one another as the sacrificed blood of Jesus, God's son, purges all our sin. I'll be clear this morning before I say what I'm about to say, what I'm not saying. I'm not saying this morning there's no objective standard of what's right and wrong in this life because there is. What I want us to know this morning is that standard is not me and it's not you standard's name is Jesus. And what John's most concerned with here isn't the list of do's and don'ts as much as it is the danger of us misrepresenting our relationship with Jesus and misrepresenting our fellowship with him. He's pointing us to the danger of lying to others about what we truly believe. Over and over again in his teaching ministry, Jesus would point us to the connection between our hearts and our actions. Our words and our actions flow from our hearts, what we believe and what we love. And so, yeah, we like to say at times when we mess up, I don't know why I did that or I don't know why I said that. That isn't me, but what Jesus would invite us to consider and what John here would say is if you say one thing and do another thing, then you're lying. If you say you're walking with Jesus, but there's no evidence that you're becoming more like him, then something's not adding up. But if we walk in the light, if we're walking where he's walking, then we have fellowship with him and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. You see, John doesn't go here to some secondary issue. He doesn't go to something kind of on the fringe or maybe a peripheral thing that we believe as Christians. He goes right to the heart of the gospel that Jesus died for our sins. And he says, walking in the light means you're walking with Jesus who laid down his life for your sins. John recognizes here the temptation that we all face to say that we're walking with Jesus while we're really just doing what we want. Temptation to wrap our self-seeking in the words of the one who came to serve and offer his life as a ransom for many. It's not just something that John was sounding the alarm about in the first century. It's something that we've seen throughout 2,000 years since then that we hear today from a generation who looks at so many people and institutions claiming the name of Jesus that 
seem to bear no resemblance to him. When we say we're following Jesus, but our lives don't look anything like his, John says we lie and do not practice the truth. Walking in light means we tell the truth to others about who we are and what we believe, both with our words and with our actions, because it's where those two come together that we find the joy of walking in the light and practicing the truth. And so walking in light means first telling the truth to others. It also means telling the truth to ourselves. Verses 8 and 9 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John doesn't just call us here to be honest with others, but also he recognizes our tendency even to lie to ourselves. Eugene Peterson puts it this way in the message. He says, if we claim that we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit our sins, simply come clean about them, he won't let us down. He'll be true to himself. He'll forgive our sins and purge us of all wrongdoing. Walking in light, walking with Jesus means recognizing and acknowledging where we fall short and where we need God's grace. But John would warn us about the temptation to deceive ourselves into believing that we have no sin, which... We can do it in a couple ways, actually. The one that's easy, easiest, I think, for us to talk about this morning in this context is the way that denies sin as a category or reality altogether. It's easy for us to see how those who deny God's existence and live in open defiance of his word are deceiving themselves because we know what Romans says, Romans 1, we know what Romans 3 says, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I think John here in these particular verses, is actually warning us of another way we deceive ourselves. And it's not in a blanket declaration that there's no such thing as sin or that I've been free from sin for my whole life or anything like that. His primary concern right here, I believe, is the far more subtle denial that we thought, spoke, or acted wrongly in a given situation. So maybe conflict erupts between you and another person, a family member, a friend, a coworker, and rather than accepting responsibility where you fell short, you justify and excuse yourself because, right, it's really all their fault. It's as if I believe that I can't be wrong or I can't admit my fault and take responsibility because that's somehow going to make Jesus look bad or something. But what I'm actually doing in those moments where I refuse to take responsibility and confess my sin as I'm short-circuiting the Spirit's work of sanctification in my life. Because when I confess my sin and acknowledge my sin, He is at work in that to reshape and reform my heart and my mind, to purge all wrongdoing from me. That's what God is going to do. It's who He is, John says, faithful and just to forgive us. And so let's be people who tell the truth to ourselves who are willing to admit our sin, confess our sin, acknowledge where our lives don't match up with the life of Jesus and ask him to conform us to his image. Walking in light means telling the truth to others, to ourselves, and then about God. John raises the stakes here in verse 10. He says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. For us to say we're without sin isn't just for us to lie about who we are, it's also for us to make God out to be a liar. I mean, John's 
exaggerating here. You cannot actually make God into a liar, but you can make him out to be one because if you claim to walk with him, but what you say contradicts what he says, somebody isn't telling the truth. And this verse is actually pointing more specifically to where we, I think, often want to take those last two, and that is to those broad, sweeping declarations that I have never sinned. To say that means that his word is not in us. Again, Eugene Peterson in the message translation puts it this way in verse 10, saying, if we claim that we have never sinned, we out and out contradict God, make a liar out of him. A claim like that only shows off our ignorance of God. See, John seems able to envision a way of agreeing with the gospel, of acknowledging its truthfulness without acknowledging our own need for it. And I think we see this today as well. And those who are always more concerned with the sins others are allegedly committing than the sins they are committing themselves, I think we're all at risk of going down that path at times, believing the proper response to the gospel. Our first response should be, they need Jesus instead of, Jesus, I need you. Walking in light means telling the truth about God. He is light. And in him is no darkness at all. He and his truth light the way for us to walk. And Jesus has shown us what it looks like to walk in that light and to walk in true life. And so the question for us this morning is, do our lives say the same things about God that the life of Jesus says? Do they tell others who he really is? Do they point others to his truth? Because to be out walking around in the darkness is a dangerous place to be. The good news for us this morning, the good news for those that we will meet today or those that we will see throughout our week this week and throughout our lives is that even though there's a lot of darkness in this world, God is light. And Jesus has come to show us what true life is like and he invites us into the fellowship and joy of the eternal life. John 3, 16 and following say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Walking around in darkness is dangerous, but the light has come into the world. And that light, Jesus, invites you into a relationship with him, to the perfect love and full joy of his fellowship. The light has come. The question this morning for us is, will you come to the light? Will you walk in the light? Will you live your life in agreement with who God is and with who he says you are? If you're already a believer, a follower of Jesus, then that might mean being honest with yourself about where your life doesn't match up with his, where you need to confess sin 
and ask him to, to make you more like him. It may mean that you need to be more faithful in sharing the truth about who God is with others around you. Or this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it may mean today that you need to give your life to him, to place your faith in him, to agree that you're going to follow Jesus and walk in his light. I don't know what that's going to look like for you this morning, but what I know is what we see here in 1 John, that walking with Jesus, there is fullness of joy. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would move and that you would work in our hearts today. God, we thank you for your word, the word of life, God, the eternal life that has been revealed to us. God, that you have come in the person of Jesus to to show us what true life looks like. That he came to lay down his life for others so that we can experience the forgiveness of our sins, that we can experience fellowship with you, that we can experience joy of knowing you and the fellowship of of others who are walking with you, God. We pray this morning that as we follow you, that you would help us to see clearly the step that you would have us to take today, God. God, as you light our path, God, God, often we might want you to, to light the next several miles or the next several steps, God, but God, we trust today that you will light the way for us to take the next step. And then the step after that is we follow you in faith, God. And so we pray that you would help us to trust you, God, to follow you, God. If there's one here who's never placed their faith in you, Lord, I pray that today they would see your light and that they would experience the the love that you have to offer, God. The love that led you to send Jesus to save us from our sins. To give us fullness of life and full joy. We pray these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.